And I am aware now. Aware now. The official platform for causes. Tune in and turn it up as we raise awareness one story at a time for the causes that tie us all together. multiple disabilities, Celia Huntsman lives with a permanent central line in her chest through which she receives daily blood infusions and complete artificial nutrition. She has never known life without being disabled. In 2021, on the International Day of People with Disabilities, Celia launched the Disability Policy Center, disabled-led and dedicated to the advancement and development of policy. They work to ensure that accessibility is at the heart conversation, consultation, and legislation. Regarding disabilities, policies of truth can only be enacted with inclusion and accessibility. Thank you so much, Celia Hensman, for joining us today on Aware Now to talk about you, your story, and what you've got going on. Thank you so much. No, thank you for having me. I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get right into it. Let's start with a day in the life of you, Celia. What does that look like? I mean, I understand that every day, much like life, consists of constants and variables, but what are the constants for you every day? Constants for me is I live a very different life, probably like most people engaging with this conversation than the average person. Um, For a little bit of context is I have complete intestinal failure and paralysis of my intestinal system, so I can't eat or drink anything. So everything goes in a weird way to my body. So the first thing I do when I get up in the morning is, I'll also preface this by saying that I haven't had a lion now in years because my machine alarms at me at half past six in the morning. So I can't remember the last time I slept past half past six. I have to get up and the first thing I have to do is sterilize the top half of my body and get ready to um, unplug my feed which has been running through the night. I'm on total parental nutrition so everything that my body needs and I get, I get through my heart. Um, Obviously that means sterile is king. Um, So I have to get up at 6.30 on the dot and sterilize the top half of my body and then I get ready to disconnect my infusions um, and then I prepare my medications which come in various forms from injections to um, smaller lines and infusions that I have to put down into my central line. So that's how I start my day which is not how the traditional person starts their day. Um, I then you know move on to the pain management things that I have to do so Obviously, because I can't have anything orally, I have to get quite creative about how I manage my pain. So there's lots of heat treatments and, and TENS machines involved to kind of get me going for the day and get me to a point where I can I can do my thing. Um, the next stage of, of my day, I suppose, is getting myself and my self-care ready for the day. Um, obviously, as I have entry points into my body that aren't natural entry points, should we say, I can't just hop in the shower and get clean and be ready for the day. I then have to, you know, wash my area of my Hickman line, bandage myself up, put all my dressings on, then have a very awkward and cumbersome shower as I'm trying to avoid the water directly because unfortunately my dressings are water resistant or waterproof. Um, So once I've done that, this is what have taken me now two hours to get to the point where I'm like, right, work mode now, 
sit down at my laptop, I open my phone, I open my diary and I spend the next, you know, on a good day, 12 hours just whole hogging what I've got to do. I am not the kind of person where I'm very good at stopping because I don't eat or drink anything. I don't take a lunch break because I always forget to myself to take that kind of hour off around lunchtime that I never end up doing it. And then around sort of four or five o'clock, um, that's when work stops and I have to start the whole routine again. So I take myself up to my medical room, start my infusion process again. And that takes about an hour again of my time of, of setting up my lines, setting up my medications. My infusion runs for 14 hours. So once I've done that, backpack on and relax. <laughs> Just let my body do what it needs to do and spend the next 14 hours of my life with a backpack on and going back to bed and the whole system repeats itself. So even though you know, big advocate for disability doesn't look like the same thing every single day. Those are constants in my life, which come rain or shine, I've got to get up and force myself to do those things. Wow. So not being able to eat or to drink anything, has that been the way of it always? This has been the only thing you've no. known? Or? So when I was younger, my I have a connective tissue disorder, which is very rare and wonderful and not many people know about it. It's called Lois Dietz syndrome, which is very similar to like Elias Danlos syndrome, if anybody knows about that. Um, when I was younger, it was, I would class myself as being non-visibly disabled. I had lots of health complications and caught meningitis and my immune system was just all over the place. And I was constantly breaking bones and just general unwellness. Um, but I ate and drank normally. I always had stomach problems, but it was never, you know, state of feeding tube. And then when I was in my teen years was when it started going wrong. And I noticed that, you know, I was being sick a lot and, but premises by saying that as someone with gastro issues and anyone can kind of comply I have nothing to boo that like grosses me out or I'm not willing to talk about because obviously there's a lot of stigma around gastro problems in in general was I started it started going wrong in my teen years and I was being sick a lot and my bowel movements weren't great and I noticed that a lot of foods were kind of irritating me quite a lot so over a couple of years I started cutting things out like gluten and dairy on the advice of my doctor and following a FODMAP diet and it just wasn't getting any better and my weight really started to slip and it I then started being feed, um, feeding tubes nasally so I had an NG tube and at that point they'd worked out that my stomach had started to paralyze itself and it just wasn't working anymore my connective tissue disorder manifests as my body doesn't produce collagen properly which gets worse as I get older which means the muscle movements slow down and eventually seize up and that element of peristalsis and the ability to process my food was what was slowly stopping. So I had an NG tube which is a feeding tube which goes into your stomach for on and off for a couple of years and then that progressed to having an NJ tube which actually goes from the nose down not a, not a nice procedure, not something nice and pleasant to live with that goes into your small intestine. So you just pump feed through your nose and down it goes. And then eventually that stopped working as well. And that was during the COVID pandemic and got taken into hospital and told that I probably wasn't going to come out again. And that wasn't a nice experience during a pandemic when I couldn't have anybody there with me um, and was in there for a couple of like a couple of months and my body had basically gone into full ketosis where my body was started eating my own organs effectively to just try and get some energy from somewhere and so that was when I went onto TPN and it now means that my entire gut system doesn't need to be used it's now going directly into my into the bloodstream <laughs> into the devil's mouth if you like but there's 
so that's how I get everything now is I miss food and I think that's a question that's probably going to be asked is do you still get hungry do you still get thirsty physically no I'm not hungry and I'm not thirsty mentally I'm very hungry and thirsty because it it doesn't cut out that element of taste and satisfaction that like on a hot day you know everyone else has a drink and an ice lolly I plug up a fluid bag it doesn't satiate me mentally even though my body has got what it needs if that makes sense but it's not a feeling to be scared of it's not unbearable it's just every so often you go oh god I'm really thirsty right now right right yeah and what so what a so this is all rather new then um this sort of level this degree of it um wow it's just incredible uh, so please allow me let's I, there's some beautiful words that you have shared that i would like for everyone to hear and they are as follows <clears throat> your beautiful words all bodies are different and beautiful in their infinite diversity some of us live in an alternative way but that doesn't mean we aren't just as capable in our own magical ways mm -hmm. i love these words you know you shared these words in a post while showing your hickman line mm -hmm. which again is that tube that keeps you alive um what i love about this post celia is that you both educate people who don't know and you empower those who do know mm -hmm. just by sharing your truth just by being present and by being visible is this i guess my question with all of this is is this where you feel like your strength where your superpower comes from just that level of transparency and truth i think so i you know i've i've spent my entire life using mobility aids and my body doesn't look the same as as people traditionally think bodies should look and when i was younger i really really struggled with that and it's not that i don't struggle with it now but it's that i very quickly came to the realization that people look at me strangely or think of me weirdly or think of me and my body is as unnatural and, and weird and not very pleasant because they don't understand what it is that my body is doing they don't understand what that hickman line does it's natural human instinct to look at something that you don't see on a daily basis and go oh what is that that's a bit weird oh that makes my you know that makes my skin crawl to think about that a stoma for example there's such stigma around stomas and and people can be so embarrassed of them and i completely understand why and that's a journey that i'm heading to and i'm i'm prepared for that to be added to my body but it's because people don't understand the actual process of what it is you know we have parts of our natural body for want of a better word that everybody has which are you know intimate areas of yourself but we don't think of those weirdly because everybody's got one and we know what they do and we know what their purpose is that that's the key is that if we all understand and it's visible and it's out there and it's you know on billboards it's represented across the media across social media in business whatever it may be people won't to have these negative perceptions because it's entrenched as normality and this there's this real perception that anything that's artificial about your body or anything that's out of the ordinary or a difference is something to be focused on and that's almost like your defining character as a person is oh she's got a hickman line look at her body all oh, that that shouldn't be there that's a little bit weird and my point is to say actually 
there's something about us all which is a little bit different. None of us fit the stereotype of normality of what we should be looking like. Actually, if you try and find people that look exactly like the stereotype of what we're all aspiring for, you're going to find that not many people look like that. And even those people themselves have those level of insecurities where they say, you know, I wish my legs were longer. I wish, you know, I was skinnier. I wish I was curvier, whatever it is. Everybody has something about themselves that they wish they could change. Unfortunately for myself, I can't change those elements about me. And I'm not embarrassed about my Hickman line because my Hickman line keeps me alive. Why should I be embarrassed about the beauty of medicine and the beauty of my body to have taken something artificial and said, right, the natural part of me doesn't work. Let's accept this artificial element and power ourselves through. And I'm surviving against the odds by the amazing work of my doctors in medicine and, and progression, but why shouldn't that be celebrated? That I have something so medically marvelous about my body that actually people should go, wow, that's really cool, that's really interesting, that's so exciting, and not look at it and think, what is that? That's a bit weird, that's very ugly. Of course, I've had moments in my journey where it's been uncomfortable and walking around with feeding tubes on my face and I've thought, people are looking at me, people are staring at me, I don't like this, this isn't normal actually it's because people don't understand and if you twist the narrative of I just live in a different way this is part of my body this is part of who I am it may not look like what you think the normal body looks like but that doesn't mean it's not beautiful in its own way if that makes mm -hmm. sense. it makes nothing but complete sense absolutely uh so to your point about all bodies being different uh like you just said there are things that we love about ourselves things about we that we loathe about ourselves at times. So let's get personal for a moment, Celia. I would love to know when it comes to your body, what is your favorite part? Uh, well, controversially, it's something I've, I've learned to accept is my favorite part is my height. So I have something called Marfan syndrome, which anybody who knows that makes you very tall, very tall, very tall and skinny. So I'm six foot one. And that is almost like my favorite part about, about me because when I was younger, it gave me that confidence where I felt authoritative. <laughs> I was like, I naturally feel authoritative because I'm the coolest person in the room. And everybody kind of stops and goes, oh God, that person's tall. And it gave me that kind of element of my personality where I felt comfortable and I felt like I, I held my own and I held my position. And quite often, you know, as a woman or as a disabled woman, quite often disregarded by society. So I turned my height into something which people could have potentially picked on me about into actually being my power stance and, and taking an element of my disability and turning it into my positive. So I love my height and I think it makes me very unique because you don't come across very many women that are my height. <laughs> this is true, this is true. Um, you know, so, the thing of it is that it, it's one thing to talk the talk many people yeah. do it's a very different thing to walk it so here enters policy yeah. we understand you understand this very well that awareness is an issue yes awareness of an issue is an endpoint is what some people believe oh i'm aware i get it i understand it's not Awareness isn't an endpoint, it's a starting point that should lead to action. So when it comes to disability, please tell us about the work that you are doing to convert best practices into policy with the Disability Policy Center. So the work that I do is is quite multifaceted and it's, it's based off the idea and, and the theory that 
it's one thing to campaign and raise awareness. Like you said, it's a, it's a starting point. We now need to take that awareness, that understanding that is building and entrench it within our actions. And that is so fundamental to make sure that there is consistency across the board of protection and rights. I, I kind of preface this by saying accessibility is a right and not a privilege. And having an understanding about disabled people is such a necessity. There's been for way too long this archaic stereotype that disabled people are involved in policy conversation when it comes to health and social care and benefits, and that's it. And what we do at the Disability Policy Centre is we integrate the conversation around disability and accessibility into every element of policy and say, actually, you know, disabled people like to go on holiday too. You know, count us in in tourism. Disabled people, we take public transport arguably more than everybody else because lots of us can't have licences. So we should really be involved in the conversation about transport. And what we do is we break down areas of policy and legislation here and across the world and look at the current situation and discuss, collect data, do lots of research. Um, and then we make recommendations to government, to third parties, to um, public organisations, private sector, about how they can be improving what they are doing for disabled people, because currently, the conversation around disabled people and the consultation with disabled people is really perhaps lacking in certain areas. Um, so some of the work that we've done already, which has been amazing and incredibly fruitful, is we've done lots of work around the representation of disabled people in politics itself, the people designing policy. Um, and one of the statistics that we found is that less than 2% of the members of parliament here in the UK identify as being disabled. Now, if you equate that to the 20%, over 20% of the population that identifies as disabled, that's over an 18% disparity gap. How can we argue that we are a representative democracy if we are not even representative of the people that are voting? And, you know, people then say, well, why do we need disabled people in that conversation? Why do we need disabled people talking about education or tourism? Why do disabled people have to be at the heart of conversation? And that's to say, you can't talk on behalf of us. If you do not have the lived experience of what it's like to be a disabled person or have that vicarious lived experience of being a guardian or a carer or whatever it may be, it's not for you to tell me what I need. It's for me to tell you what I need. And that's basically what our organization does is collects the voice of disabled people and puts it at the heart of Westminster and government. Some of the other conversations and, and work that we've done is around um, SEND provisions and the state of SEND education here in the UK, um, which is special edu educational needs. Um, we're doing an amazing project at the moment called Access to Funding, which has just been featured in the Financial Times, so yeah, go us, um, which is centred around um, uh, investing in disabled entrepreneurs. And one of the statistics that we found was that only less than 17% of disabled entrepreneurs or disabled founders believe they are treated equally to non-disabled entrepreneurs and founders when they're seeking investment because of misconceptions about what they can and can't do, their commitments, how talented they are, et cetera, et cetera. I could go on and on. But that's in a nutshell what we do is we make sure that the conversation around disabled people is being amplified and considered with equal weight to the rest of the population. A fact that I always kind of like to throw out there is we are the largest minority group. Not only that, but you're the only minority group that you can enter and leave at any point in your life. So if you think the conversation around disability doesn't apply to you, it's not to scaremonger people, but it's to say it might apply to you at some point in your life. And we cannot be forgetting 
about the one in five people who identify in this way, where currently, arguably, we are forgetting about them when we're not hearing their voices enough in conversation. Such great points, all of them. And I love specifically you speaking about the fact that we cannot be just included in when it comes to like health and it, in all facets of all parts, because a person is a person in okay. all these different facets, not only one specific silo, right? Mm -hmm. So done with the silos, let's have conversation across the board. Um, you know, in one of our favorite tracks, so when I say our, Jack and I, um, Jack co-founded Awareness Ties with me, and one of our favorite tracks of music is entitled To Make Manifest, and it's from one of our Awareness Ties ambassadors, Thavius Beck. The lines read as follows, thoughts determine what you want, actions determine what you get. Mm -hmm. Think, act, now. It's one of our songs that we have on repeat quite often here. Uh, so I guess my question from thinking about that song is for you, Celia, right now regarding disability and inclusion, what do you want people to think about and what actions do you want them to take? So what I want people to think about, and it's it's such a great question and I, lo I love the words that you're using, is, is it's very simple. Be proactive, not reactive. We spend so much of our time, a vast majority of the time, when the conversation is around disability or accessibility out of the arena of disabled people talking about it or raising awareness, pro, you know, reactive action is happening here where an act of discrimination has happened or someone has come up against an accessibility barrier and people are going, oh, we should probably be looking at that in hindsight. And what I'm saying to people is, mm -mm, from the point of design, proactively you should be thinking about disabled people it's one in five people if you think there are no disabled people on your team or in your family or anywhere in your friendship group or your connection you are really really underestimating the conversation around disability and then i kind of follow that up by saying if there really isn't anyone on your team that's disabled you're doing something wrong as a company because you're not attracting the right people but from the point of design, we shouldn't be going back to do consultation with disabled people once we've designed the policy, once we've done the strategy, once we've done the legislation. We should be at the center of it from the beginning. We're not an afterthought. We're, we're not the last thing to be considered. Or let's just quickly check this off with disabled people and just check they're all right with it. Our voice should be equal in deciding what needs to be done. Not only are you saving yourself money and time by having to constantly go back and recorrect the past mistakes, if we just do it now, <laughs> the situation will be so much better. And actually, we will, as a as a social movement, I suppose, we will be moving so much quicker than we are at the moment. We have seen the most incredible social progression over the last couple of decades around race and gender and identity and so many other fantastic communities. But I preface that by saying disability is really being left behind in the conversation. And that's not to take in any way energy away from those other social movements, but it's to say, why are we not picking the same pace as other social movements? Why aren't we being considered with equal value to other so social progressions that are happening at the moment? And that's because we're in the mentality of being reactive to situations, not proactive. So that's what we need to be thinking about is switching that mentality around. Mm -hmm. Absolutely agree. And I think it's one of those things where you don't know what you don't know until you know. 
and right it's just it's this people and i think people are afraid uh if they don't know how to fix something they're afraid to address something but that simply can't just go on anymore so um, is so at the is at the core and i think people get scared i think you're right people get scared that they don't want to admit that they don't know something and my response always to that is would you rather admit you didn't know something and and be met with a friendly group of people who will say that's all right you know let's address it quickly rather than you make a mistake of discriminating against somebody or creating a barrier for somebody and having to deal with the repercussions of that which would you prefer which is the better option for everybody and that's just asking the questions and admitting you need educating and there are amazingly talented people out there who will leap at the chance to be able to do that for you so i think education is is so key in the conversation here absolutely and you make a good point that it's not that you're going to offend someone it's go- it's perhaps that you're going to um someone will, will feel welcomed because you asked because you reached out um you know so another quote of yours i am who i am because of my disability and not in spite of it Mm -hmm. so your disability celia is your power you referenced it as your driver your identity and the fact that you find strength in what makes you fight harder than others have to for those who are looking for the strength that you have found What advice do you have for them? My advice fundamentally is, you know, I haven't always felt like this. And if you don't feel like that, you're not doing something wrong. You're not alone in that. You're not on a journey that you will never complete is what, how I felt. And I felt I'm never going to be okay with this. This is something that's going to bother me for the rest of my life. And I'm, I'm never going to accept it. And where I started was actually looking at my identity as a person and realizing that my personality, the experiences that I've had, the talents that I've got, the degree I've got, whatever it is, I have got there because of situations that have happened in my life as a result of my health condition. I picked law at university because I was so interested in human rights, because I'd had that lived experiences of feeling like my my human rights weren't being met as a person. I set up my organization because I could see what was going on and I wanted to change it to make sure that people behind me aren't going to go through the same things. It's a long process and I'm not going to change the world, but I can tap away at my little corner and do the best I can. That It's about realizing that disability is a talent in itself. We over-index on dedication, commitment, resilience, ability to think outside the box, creativity, You have unique talents about yourself because of your disability and because of your experiences that people pay money to get training to receive and be better at. You have those talents about yourself naturally. Tap into those and realize that actually there are positive things about my disability. For me, it gets me up every day and it motivates me to keep going. And yes, I have days where I can't do it. And yes, I have days where everything goes on pause because right now I'm focusing on my health. But it's also about realizing that the only person I need to be showing up for is myself and prioritizing my health first. So many of the negative experiences that I've had in my life as a result of my disability, arguably I've caused a lot of them myself because I've tired myself out. I've done things physically that I know 
going into it, I wasn't going to be able to do, but I was so adamant that I had to keep up with everybody and do what everyone else was doing. And I make myself sick or I make myself injured that I looked at my situation and where I was with my health and thought, you know, I can't do things in the traditional way, but I can do other things that people can't and I can approach things in a different way. And as soon as I switched that mentality to stop chasing what I couldn't have and knew I couldn't have and just accepting that and saying, I can't, maybe I can't do that. But I can do this and I can do this in a different way and I focus on that and that's what kind of drives me and, and switch that mentality but I preface it again by saying that's a real journey and I'm not at my end point there you know I still have really bad mental health days where I wish I could click my fingers and it all went away and I just had five minutes of no pain and, and five minutes where I felt okay and I, I still have those elements but it's about realizing that my disability got me where I am today and continues to push me forwards because I'm driven to make sure that other people don't have to go through the real mm, that I've had to go through. And I know so many people have had it so much worse than me. You know, I recognize my privileges that I am a white disabled woman and being a white individual, my experiences and my disability have arguably been better than other people. And I recognize that privilege and I want to make sure that intersectionality is also respected and that you know yes you are a disabled person but there are other elements about you as well it's not your ultimate defining characteristic I'm a fiance I'm a sister I'm a daughter I'm also you know a disabled person I'm also a woman there are other things about me but it is a defining characteristic about me and I've accepted that and I'm I'm proud of that now I'm proud the fact that even though I'm different and even though my body doesn't like me very much and keeps trying to kill me off I'm still going and I'm, I'm, I'm still doing it and I'm, I'm beating the odds and I'm here and I've shown up for myself now. And that's what's kind of really important is prioritizing myself above anything else. Even though that sounds very arrogant and big headed, actually, if you have to deal with physical or mental health or anything, yourself, you and yourself need to be priority. Your, your body is a vessel and a vehicle and you need to look after it as the best as your ability. That's... Uh... Beautiful, Celia, and thank you for showing up. Just in showing up, just in being present, you are a light for so many um, that are dealing with their darks. Mm -hmm. And so thank you so much for letting us get to know you a bit more, for sharing your story, your truth, for fighting the way that you do, not just for yourself, but for others. Thank you for helping all of us become a bit more aware now. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>